0: You're listening to the Derms and Conditions Podcast. So we're going to get started with our production here. My name is Jim Dorazo, and it's a pleasure to bring with me today, uh, David Cohen, who you all know from New York and April Armstrong from the other coast uh, down there in Southern California. And we're now in our second year of Derms and Conditions Podcasts. We're very proud today to have this, this live edition. We've started uh, 2000, uh, 2022 with episode number 18 with Jason Hawks, and that's already up and running. But I do want to say to take a minute to thank Insight Dermatology, the sponsor of Highlights of Winter Clinical 2022, which is this episode. Learn more about Insight's innovative approach to treatment at www. Insight—that's capital I N C Y T E dot com forward slash Dermatology. Okay. so we're going to get started with highlights in clinic uh, in of Winter Clinical 2022, and I'm going to ask David Cohen, who actually was the lead off hitter of Derms and Conditions podcast with our first two episodes when we started. David, what in listening to the presentations at the meeting, what what stuck out in your mind as being something that you felt uh, was really important?
1: So, Jim, as you, as you mentioned a little earlier, um, I, th- this meeting was so packed with pearls and new data. I mean, we could probably do a half a dozen podcasts. I think, just from a medical dermatology standpoint, one. Uh, w- 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 there's a number of lectures there, but Dawn Sammons spoke about chronic urticaria. I think it's one of those areas we don't think a lot about in dermatology, but we deal with daily, and we, we get distracted by all the advances in uh, psoriasis and eczema. She pointed out a couple of important things, omeluzumab, zolair, which we know about for, for years, not something we use in the dermatology office very much, because we're concerned about anaphylaxis, but the labels changed. And now after three supervised doses, patients can self-administer at home. I think that's really gonna open it up for us a bit more. We also saw over the summer, uh, dupilumab issuing data on chronic spontaneous urticaria, the new name for chronic urticaria, chronic spontaneous urticaria, demonstrating sort of 2x the improvement over antihistamines. And then she spoke about some development drugs like liglizumab, remibrutinib, which is an oral-brutin kinase inhibitor, and tezapelumab, which is being used in asthma. So this area of medical dermatology is expanding, really at a great cliff and in dermatology, I think we ought to be taking advantage of that.
0: I think about this a lot when I'm seeing patients in the office, whatever disease they have, I'm thinking, you know, uh, are there is there anything new in the last week that I haven't heard about yet? Because there's expansion of so much information in so many areas. So April, you're a crowd favorite with your podcast that we had. So I want to ask you what stuck out uh, in your mind from this meeting?
2: Yeah, I will say, like David, there were so many things that stood out at the meeting because it was just full and packed with great information. Um, something that I think you, Ashley, Jim, and as well as Neil, um, Samal, and I talked about were some of the advancement in topical therapies in psoriasis, uh, including, for example, now we have a calcipotriene beta methazone cream um, that's quite stable and, and uh, well-tolerated in our patients uh, that we have available for them. Uh, in In addition to that coming up, we will also hopefully see two non-steroidal options uh, for patients with plaque psoriasis. Uh, One is Tepinarov, and the other one is a different mechanism action, but certainly very exciting uh, for our patients with psoriasis. One thing that Dr. Bonnie Ilewski had highlighted uh, in her talk, for example, for oral therapies for psoriasis, uh, she pointed out that Premolast now is approved for psoriasis patients of all disease severity. So we recall that it used to be approved just for moderate to severe disease. Now it also includes mild, moderate, as well as severe disease. So I think that is also quite exciting. And then finally, we'll have a, a tic 2 inhibitor um, that will join our uh, really tw- toolbox that will offer a very efficacious and, and uh, with good safety profile as an oral option for patients with psoriasis.
0: Is there anything unique about the binding with the TIC2 inhibitor, the allosteric binding that it appears it may be different in terms of its profile from the other Janus kinase inhibitors?
2: Yes, absolutely. So this one is quite unique in that the mechanism action for ducravosinib, this particular TIC 2 inhibitor, actually binds to the regulatory domain versus the catalytic domain, where we are where the, most of the JAK inhibitors bind. And because of that specific binding and that specific mechanism action, we uh, we see it really in the safety profile when you look at the laboratory. Um, uh, work that was done in the patients in the clinical trials, they were very similar to patients who have taken placebo.
1: I just wanted to point out, I, I had the similar highlights that, that April brought out with the, two, with the two new topicals. I think all the excitement over the last 10 years has been on moderate to severe disease with biologic and systemic drugs. But most of the cases we see in dermatology are mild to moderate. We wanna to deploy topical therapies and, and topical steroids mainstay of therapy most of the time. But the two new topicals uh, April mentioned really had consequential efficacy, real like checking the steroids at the door for long-term use. And then we had topical ruxolitinib this year, which had really impressive results on efficacy. And I think it's a real change in our waiting time right we wait 10 years for a good topical and now we might have three amazing ones for a pretty broad spectrum of use in the office now
0: I mean I think it's uh, it's great that we've had roxolitinib approved topically for atopic dermatitis it it offers us a lot of advantages in in treating that's a difficult disease these patients are fighting this over a prolonged period of time and even with the best of therapies we have systemically for psoriasis and even atopic dermatitis patients still carry some disease with them. The majority of them have carried some disease where we need topical therapy. So, April, I'm going to go back to you and see if you have anything else you want to bring forth, or and or certainly David. David, did you have anything on your plate here?
1: Yeah. I, I, well, the number of things, but you know, time will limit us. You know, Brian Berman mentioned the uh, terbinafine, uh, known as Clisiri, and. The package insert has discussed 25 square centimeters, and I really liked his very practical approach with the digital imaging, allowing one of those sachets to cover a full scalp. I think it's just a very practical way of looking at it that I can deploy in real life, in real time.
0: Well, you know you're not just gonna put it on 25 square centimeters. That's hardly a field treatment, but the FDA does mandate that the protocol be done that way, so so you don't have a choice. So we're going we're gonna to take another quick pause here to thank Insight Dermatology, the sponsor of today's program. Learn more about how Insight is changing the face of research in dermatology at www.insight.com forward slash dermatology. So April, now we'll turn it back to you and see what else you picked up at the meeting because there are quite a few highlights.
2: Yes, um, so when we're thinking about hydratonitis separativa, and I think we heard great talks from Dr. Kirby from this meeting, I think we learned a lot in terms of the management, one in terms of the medical management, uh, and the other in terms of the, some of the procedural management. When we think about the use of oral antibiotics, for example, in RHS patients, we oftentimes Think about tetracycline class, or or beyond that, clindamycin plus uh, rifampin, but I think also considering the the use of, uh, for example. Uh, agents that are more broad acting in terms of covering both gram-negative and gram-positive organisms. Um, so things like amoxicillin plus clavulanic acid and potentially some fluoroquinolones can be quite helpful. Uh, I'm very encouraged to see in the biological realm for HS, for example, we have the advent of IL-17 inhibitors and IL-1 inhibitor uh, in the pipeline that will be additional uh, biologic options hopefully in the near future uh, in addition to our TNF inhibitor adalimumab which is currently the only approved biologic uh, for for HS and then finally I learned a tip that uh, that when you inject these HS lesions uh, perhaps uh, you know if you use five milligram per k- uh, per um, mil concentration that may be a little too low so um, I think Jocelyn was talking about using 10 to 20 Megs per mil concentration and, uh, and and inject a good one to two mils into these lesions, into these highly inflammatory nodules or, or abscesses to really get those lesions down. So getting into the nitty gritty details um, to understand the amount of concentration of the uh, intralesional Kenlock we need to inject I thought was very helpful.
0: Uh, actually, we use evidence-based medicine and my evidence on that was uh, was one colleague that I respect a lot that treats a lot of hydratinitis Told me a few years back, he said, inject 10, even 20 milligrams per cc, and I've been using that uh, routinely. Evidence based, one doctor, but he was right, and it turned out to be very, very helpful. David, any other?
1: I guess, Jim, just um, parlaying the uh, discussion about the antibiotics, Julie Harper and you were talking about the more limited antibiotic spectrum of sericycline, which we like to be mindful of once we're having patients with acne um, on antibiotics for three and four months. So it may be a little bit easier decision when you're wanting to go a little bit longer and not just blasting the broad spectrum of uh, the microbiome.
0: I mean, it's difficult because, you know, it's easy to sit in the boardroom and tell people don't do something more than three or four months. But when you have patients with the realities of what you're experiencing in practice, it's not always that easy to stop things and and go to other things, especially when patients are having success. So uh, the decision ultimately has to be a wise one. But we have to respect what antibiotics are doing and respect antibiotic resistance. Anything else, David? I know you, David took a lot of notes. I'm very proud of him. I
1: did. I was sitting and taking notes. I, obviously very gratuitous though, the, the allergen of the year for 2022 was aluminum. I think uh, not the most exciting allergen of the year, but it's one we have to think about. It be, became an allergen of the year largely because the old fin chambers were aluminum and, and kids started to re, noted reactions to the chambers themselves. So people would patch test and see multiple positive reactions, didn't make any sense. And aluminum is an adjuvant, it's an immune booster in vaccines, and some kids, and I've seen this a number of times, get these eczematous plaques over the vaccination site, hot, warm areas, and even granulomatous nodular lesions from aluminum hypersensitivity. However, other than this academic interest, I think it doesn't touch us most of the time, and it's just one that'll make it into the record books and, and move on. I don't see much aluminum allergy under arms from uh, deodorants and antiperspirants.
0: So I was going to say, David, I'm really happy that aluminum was the allergen of the year. (laughs) Because when I first got here, now this is a bad image of Jim Dal in the shower, but you taught me at another meeting that always look at what's in there, like the shampoo and the lotion. And it was Coco Mango. And I'm thinking, gee, I hope Cocoa Mango is not the allergen of the no, year. No, no. It out that it wasn't. So We'd I'm all really, be in trouble really
1: here if Cocoa We'd and Mango was all all the allergen of the year. We'd all be breaking out with
0: Cocoa Mango Allergy. So I feel better now about what they have, have yeah, in the hotel. Yeah, you should. So April, we're going to move back to you. Anything else
2: exciting? Oh, first I would say that uh, your mango smell uh, is is quite good uh, here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Yes, uh, I uh, really thought that the tip that was given on uh, oral minoxidil uh, for patients with androgenetic alopecia was wonderful. Uh, We, you know, we think about topical minoxidil for these patients all the time, uh, but uh, also Dr. Iluski alluded to that you can use uh, oral minoxidil, and there are some uh, case reports supporting that. And the dose that for men is 2.5 milligram, and they can come in 2.5 milligram tablets. So they can take that. And for women, is half of that. So you can get a pill cutter, cut that in half um, to help treat uh, um, the androgenic alopecia. And uh, I will say maybe one of my last tips is from Dr. Hebert, uh, which I think I might use on my children as well. Um, she said that a crying child, a child cannot cry and try to blow out a candle or purse their lip to blow out the candle at the same time so if you have a crying child in your office and you try to get them to stop crying and tell them to pretend to blow out a birthday candle so uh, i thought that was a a great uh, tip that i can try it out on my um, kids and hopefully not my spouse
1: i think if i tried that at home with my wife or adult daughters i wind up with a pie in my face i think (laughs) i'm I'm pretty sure yeah yeah, blow out this candle (laughs) <laughs> Don't yell at me.
0: So uh, we also, I think it's important that when we look at uh, topical agents for acne, we actually do have one that has a, a mechanism of action that we haven't had, and that's the androgen receptor inhibitor with topical clascoterone. And I still have people coming up to me, even at this meeting, saying, can we use that in men? And absolutely, it's topical There's no real concern about systemic activity. And androgens are part of the pathophysiology in everyone, in both males and females, so you don't have to be concerned about using that in males being a topical agent. Any final words from either of you? I'll start with you, David.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to shout out uh, the lecture I heard from Pearl Grimes on hyperpigmentation, right? She spoke about uh, cystamine, which we kind of knew about for a little while, but what really moved me, she's a luminary in pigmentary disorders. And like all of us, we've seen tinea versicolor patients get hypopigmentation from their infections with malassezia. And and she's looking at um, sort of uh, purifying malassezia extracts to parlay that, against hyperpigmentation. And I just thought that was a brilliant clinical observation that she's gonna try to turn into something that may be useful, akin to minoxidil being used for hypertension and creating hair, hair growth, right? I I think she's uh, really a great example of of using a clinical observation to try to solve a problem.
0: Well, it's interesting, because azelaic acid, which can Result in some hypopigmentation if you're treating hyperpigmented skin is actually one of the acids that's produced by by Malassezia and in when it when you have that that phase of of that infection. So I, I think that's interesting. Pearl Grimes is the one who taught me way back about using topical retinoids in patients with darker skin, where a lot of people were afraid of doing it. So. She, you get your pearls from pearl, that's yes, for sure. That's, that's exactly. So we'll end up with uh, Dr. Armstrong to give us some final tips. Some yes, final and as I also
2: say, Dr. Grimes is a fellow Angelino, uh, so I'm very glad to have her in, in our area. Um, I will say that another tip uh, that I found was very helpful is from Dr. Coal Iron, who said that in your practice, uh, try to put up a staff bulletin board where staff can put up Um, You can put brief announcements, but also staff members can put up pictures of of their children so that you share a little bit of um, your life with the other staff. And it can be in an area only the staff can see, but it can really help boost the morale uh, in the office. And I feel like we all need that uh, during this time.
0: That's certainly for sure. So I want to say thanks again to Insight Dermatology, the sponsor of Highlights of Winter Clinical 2022. Be sure to drop by their booth here at Winter Clinical or check out their website at www.insight.com forward slash dermatology. And remember, you could uh, subscribe to Derms and Conditions Podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Keep listening because you're going to learn from people like the ones that are to my right here and to my left. Thank you very much.